you know, so I had to start the night out. And I really hated that because I wasn't I'm not used to playing all night long after doing that, after playing clubs like that. I'm not used to playing all night long. I'm used to opening it up and playing for three or four hours and, you know, I burn it down out, you know. Oh, so you were. So, and it's funny because like playing here. I was going to say, you are the DJ that open the club and close the club. You like to come in and play a couple of hours, do what you do, and then roll out, right? Burn the place down and get out. Come and burn down the place and get out. And sing all night long. <laughs> sing every record I'm playing, I'm singing. And it's funny because you, you have all these DJs now that don't dance. They don't dance. And it's like, how does that work? You don't sing, you don't dance. How do you feel this music, really? I always said you know, it's weird. Thing. Dancing is well, a I would dance and sing all night long. You have to be able to dance to enjoy the music. Mm-hmm. They play it well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Freddie, well, I played with Justin Bergman one time. Mm. I was going to say, yeah. you say Justin Bergman, and I was going to ask you about when did the singing begin? The real, the professional singing, because you sang on some records too. Oh As my God, it's parts. so funny because I was singing all along and wasn't thinking of making no kind of career mm-hmm. out of it. Just people asking me to sing backgrounds, like I sung on three or four records for, for Frankie Feliciano backgrounds. On uh, don't you ever give up? Um, That's you in the background. Sung on on in English, huh? That's you in the background. Don't you ever? Yeah, give missing. Up. Uh, no more change. Uh huh. Uh-huh. You really try. Melly Daniels, right? Melly Daniels. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we did backgrounds. I did backgrounds on for for Kim English. Which um, uh, for that record he did with um, with um, she did a record that Anita Baker's record that she did over again. Nightlife. It was for for Hysteria Records. Oh no! Mm-mm. What is the name of that record? The one Anita Baker. She said she sung a Anita Baker record over again. I did backgrounds with her, and also did I'm missing you on the backgrounds on I'm missing you. Missing you. I'm missing you. Did backgrounds on Go Freddie. And I did records with Crazy French Man. And I did like three records with Crazy French Man. It was like jazzy records. He had me singing and all kind of stuff like that. And I did records with you. Yes, he did. <laughs> That's right. He did and, uh, love. He did that's him singing on there. Yes, he did. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, it's so weird because it's like all these things coming at you at the same time. Francois, and you did the record with Francois F K E P. Hypno, hypnotic. Yep. Hypnodelic. Hypnodelic. Francois. Hypnodelic is me singing. Harry used my voice on 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 um try on his fear with DD Brave, <clears throat> and he never even said thank you. And the record is one of his biggest. <laughs> believe that on Spotify, his record. He never even said uh, take a shit. <laughs> Excuse me. He Can never even said Harry, nothing to me. Harry didn't say nothing to you. Oh no 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 no! He he, he called me up one day because I had used to go to. 
and we'd be playing around, you know, singing or whatever, recording things. And um, he called me up one day. He said, can I use that sample of your voice? And I was like, yeah, why not? So he, you know, he used me and and D.D. Uh, Brave together. And it's one of his biggest records on, on Spotify. I don't know where, anywhere else, but on Spotify and on iTunes is one of his biggest records. And um, yeah, I got enough for that record. Just my name on the record, whatever. So uh-huh. yeah, yeah. So, so you're so now you're yeah. DJing, you're singing, and we're working as also getting ready to do yeah. productions. Also, you started doing production. You started beginning working at the time, if I remember correctly, Jason. So take us on that journey now. So yeah, going on. Well. I started working with Jason. Jason was doing like reading whatever. And, and um, there was a friend of mine, Alex um, Zayez, that I met Jason from. And they were doing all these records called SB, SY. And sometimes I would, you know, be in the studio with them and I would give them my ideas of what they were working on. I was always around doing something with music. Like you and and um, um, Tommy Musto and so many people all the time. And um, so anyway, long story short, Jason and I, after he, I, I signed a record for him to Michael McDavid at Groovealicious, which is okay. part of Strictly Rhythm. And I had helped him on that. On, and I was like, you know what? I can't just be doing this. I need to be doing this and, you know, getting some kind of something out of it because it don't make any sense in me working for free and don't get nothing out of it. Don't make no sense to me. So anyway, me and Jason formed a part. And, <clears throat> and <clears throat> ooh, wow. Have some water. Hang on, friend. Let me just get everybody, just give me a second. Let me share this again. I want to get everybody to sign up one more time and give you some time to get mm-hmm. some water. So those that are tuning in, please, I'm going to ask you, please join us on truehousestories.com. Subscribe to the newsletter. It is worth it. Be part of the family. Subscribe, and you're going to get an email and verify it. See who I have any True House Stories, DJ Spen. And next week, of course, we have Robbie Leslie from The Saint, Studio 54. And as well, Marsha Stern. And it's going to be a nice show. And so many other great artists coming. But we're sitting with the lovely, wonderful, talented vocalist, DJ, producer, remixer. And the list goes on and on. Freddie Turner. So, Freddie, back to you. So you work with Jason Whiplash Hernandez. And you and you start to now, you got a record signed to Michael McDavid's label um, to Strictly. Um, and yeah. take us from there. And I'm the one who's signing everything. He hated that kind of stuff. So I went up to Michael McDavid because I knew all these people collecting records. I wrote for three different magazines. I worked for the um, Underground News. I worked wrote for um, Update UK. And I worked for um, um, Mixmag. So, you know, for people, in, in fact, the first interview that Mood the Swing ever did was me and, and uh, my friend Jorge. We went to interview them at, at Bass Hit. In fact, we had gone there to interview um, Masters at Work, and we interviewed Louie, and Kenny didn't want to talk. He wasn't in the mood. So he said, can you interview these guys? I met them, and I interviewed them, and then then we interviewed Kenny. I think he got relaxed or whatever, and we interviewed them. 
And we were right reviewing all these records and stuff like that because I knew everybody and people was always giving me their records. And then I would re- review records that I like myself that I, you know, I had that I bought myself and it's from record labels and stuff like that. There was always somebody in some store giving you records or whatever. Right. Because they thought I were whatever or, or they knew that that that, that is well, but wait a minute, wait a minute. I didn't work it. I would work but they hold on. Wait, wait, wait. So let me paint the picture for everybody. Freddie would come in with his record bags. He'd put his record bags down, take his jacket off, and he'd start playing records. And the people who are buying, are buying music are listening now to Freddie play the tunes. And he wants you to listen to what, mm-hmm. he's, what he's playing. And he's selling more records than the guys who actually worked at the shop. It was the craziest thing. They, they, hate he was, they hated that. Some of them they, didn't like me at all. I know. They wanted me off. They wanted the spotlight on them. I'm not trying to get no spotlights playing the records because I want everybody to have them. I, you know, it's like it's like you know, it's like it's like a radio show. You want everybody to hear. Ooh, this is a dope record. You got to hear this record. It's so dope. You just got to hear it. I loved it. Loved it. Loved. It. I loved this since I was a baby. To me, I didn't even know what nursery rhymes were. They sung to me grown people records. Always. I'm like my older sisters, they listen to BB and all those records like that. Then, you know, and and, and I'm like maybe 16 years younger. Right. So I had sisters listen to Nancy Wilson and stuff like that. My sister Maggie, and she loved jazz and stuff like that. My father loved jazz. My mother loved gospel. I had friends that listened to rock and roll. Some friends listened to funk. They were listening to P-Funk. Um, I had friends that listened to Santana and everybody had it all played together, play music together. Or I would go to the house and we'd be playing records. It was, we, it was, I wouldn't say weird, but it was like everybody had music. They had their own music. And I remember one day sleeping and the houses were kind of close to each other. And I heard, um, What's that girl? That, uh, Melba Moore. Mm-hmm. I think one of those Broadway shows. I can't remember the name of that song, but it woke me up because I heard it from down the street. And I was like, oh, that song woke me up out of my sleep. I can't even remember the name of the record. But anyway, those kind of things like that happened. And um, anyway, um, so after working with Jason, we worked on a whole lot of projects. I mean, we did. Um, um, Could you name name uh, some of the projects that that you worked on? Do you remember some of the records you worked on? Urban Soul. I can't remember the name of it, but it was for for um, for um, for King Street. Okay. I think it. I don't remember the name of the record. I know it's Rolling Clock. So I helped him. Yes, 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 yes. I helped him remix that record, and you know helped them get, you know, the money for that record and all that stuff like that. So all of that, keep working with people and keep working with people. So, you know, you need to be because it's not just them anymore. It's you and them. Right. So anyway, so we start working and and we did a couple of records because I knew um, Gladys and and Strictly Rhythm. I used to go there all the time, even when they were down like 50-something street, 52nd street or Something like that, 54th Street, somewhere down there off, off right. Broadway. Mm-hmm. And I knew them 
I was always going picking up records from them. So she was always playing me all the new records that she was getting ready to sign. And they would give me the promos and stuff like that. I had all the jackets and I had all the, it was like a walk-in advertisement. I had the jackets, I had the um, the hats, I had the t-shirts, you know, people thought that I worked for the record labels. Anyway, we're working on stuff and I take some stuff up the glass. I was like, ooh, listen to this girl, you might like this. Play Budokan. She loved it. Signed it on the spot. And I was like, oh, okay. I got more for you, girl. Watch. <laughs> <laughs> that was like in 90, 80, oh, 89. Something like no, that. No, what 89? 89. Mid-90s. Like Not 89. That's like 96, around 97. Yeah, something like that. Something like that. I don't remember dates. I know, it's hard. Too many it's things hard. going on. Too many times. So, so, so let's go back. And, yeah, right. So Budokan, you, is that the first record you signed with Strictly? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was Budokan's theme. And then we did It's it's Okay, It's All Right. Another Budokan record. Right. And um, we also, we did remixes. We did a remix um got the name of that record label but it was a record called ice cream like ice cream yeah uh, fly away and they used a sample on there of um trying to remember the label i do remember because you gave me a copy yep yeah and that went number one it went number one at the same time that stop playing with mine went number one like two months apart wait 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 wait. Let's talk about how how did that record happen when Stop Playing With My Mind? That was because that's a big successful hit record. Me and Jason was in his studio and for the records, and I was like, ooh, I'm gonna sample this record. So we sampled that record. And I was like, ooh, it'd be dope if we had a vocal on it. It's like, who could sing it? Who you think could sing it? I was like, oh, we should. I'm gonna shop it around. I'm gonna go, you know, and and, and shop it around. And so we went to strictly. I went to strictly rhythm and talked, and I was like, I think Barbara should be singing this, but I think the group should be Avro Sheen. Right. So, and I said, this is a sample of of, of Mainline Black Ivory, and it was a really dope sample, really dope sample. First time we ever really sampled anything. So we go there, and so she gets Dwayne to write. And we give them like a theme, you know, what we think it should sound like. Or what. So we work together on the song in the studio. For all those intensive purposes, give, which Dwayne are we talking about? For the Dwayne people. Harding. Yeah, uh, Harding, right. So people know because they need to know who Dwayne it is. Harding. De- Dwayne Harding. So Dwayne's writing so, the with you guys. Okay. Writing the song and um, he's singing. And I love very interesting and he wanted to call it um you got to love me or leave me so we record everything and we go home we take all the pieces and said no so we took that one part and kept looping it stop playing stop playing with my mind and and it was going with the ah you know from uh black ivy 
And um, we go back and we get Barbara and Barbara comes in and she sings her part. Barbara, and um, Daryl sings, I mean, um, Dwayne sings his part. And um, I don't know how, but I don't know. I don't think his vocal was strong enough. He couldn't hit some parts of, of, of the, the, the thing that he produced. I mean, well, he, it was his vocal, but there were certain parts that he couldn't hit the notes. So I had an idea. I was like, oh, we should get, we could get Daryl. So I don't know how we got him, but we got, um, he sung it over again and, um, he kind of was on Broadway and I was like, <laughs> this gotta be. Wait, wait, wait. He was on Broadway. What do you mean on Broadway? The way he sang it, the delivery. I want you to see like, yes, his deliveries like Broadway was very, it was, too perfect. It was too, you know, too, you know, clean and, and everything about it, right? I would say it wasn't soulful. It just wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't swinging enough for me. And so I went verse for verse, word for word, pronunciation, everything. I look. I know. I sound nervous here, okay? But when it comes down to doing my job, it has to be right and perfect, okay? Of course. So, I'm like. No, and so it went line per line, word for word, to get it right. He sung it. He sucked it out. Did you sing it to him how you wanted it? Did you sing it to him, to Daryl D? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you sang Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. part. So to show everybody, can you can you reenact that? Like what that would be like if you if Daryl was here? What would you have said to Daryl? You know, I he sang the record. It came back to you, and now what you would have done? Like he knew it would be straight, and I would put a flip. I put a like a swing on it, like um, always and forever. That's what I thought our love should be, and he went like he was on on Broadway. Oh wow! Nice. Always and forever. That's what I thought our love could be. It's like, no, 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 honey. We not doing Broadway. Run the tape back. <laughs> <laughs> Run it yeah. back, everyone. In Run fact, they back. never sung. Him and Diane, him and, and Barbara never sung in the same room. Oh no, they never sung in the same room. I had to say no. I took all the ad libs and put them together, made them sound like they it took me a whole day to do that in the studio with the engineer Brian. To t- take all the ad libs and make them sound like they were singing to each other. Oh, they were really? In the same room. Oh, because everybody no. see now. People saw the top of the pops and they saw them singing it like they were together, you know, and, they, and it was sung that way. Well, actually, you know how that tape even got to the internet is because my friend Frank and and Hamburg, I mean, in uh, Berlin, he was from East Berlin and he was used to recordings because they couldn't see him in East Berlin. He told me he recorded it from the Top to a VHS, a VH, what do you call them? Betamax or VHS. And I brought that tape home. Yeah. Tape home, and I took it to this place. I think Victor gave me the address to this place, Victor Salmonelli. And um, I took it to this place and had it put it on a DVD. Okay. I put it on a DVD. I brought it home. Cause no, there was no video. They never did a video. They didn't do anything for that record. They, they barely did any promotion for me for that record. I didn't think. So I was the one trying to promote that record, you know, 
I wanted it to be, I wanted, you know, and then when um, they licensed it to positive for, for um, full intention to do the remix. Cause I love what they did. I love this. I love their, their, the, the, the way they reinterpreted things. And I think it would take it to, I'll take it to the next level. And actually they came back with a dub. They didn't even use the vocal. They came back with a dub. And I was like, uh-uh, Gladys, we are not using that. Uh-uh, we're not paying them to do no, no dub. I want them right. vocal. Mm-hmm. So they went back and they did a vocal and that sealed, you know, and it did, it did really, really well all over. You know, it went number on the on the um, dance charts. It became one of um, Billboard's top 100 dance records of all time. And I said, like, get out of here. Oh, you know, it's bigger than most records, than all the records she ever had. You yeah. know, mm-hmm. it was huge. That record was pop. And I was like, you know. But see, that, that was that pop in me. me. That was natural for you to make records like that. That because those who know you yeah. know you sang like that. All oh, that that was it, that's inside your bloodline. Like mm-hmm. that's how you sing. But yeah. for you to get Daryl to do yeah. that, that yeah. was an extension of how you are. And you know, good mm-hmm. on you. And that was a huge record. We were all proud of you. You remember? I said to you when I heard it. I said, "Thank you, hit, Freddie." I told you right away. You played it in my car. Yeah. I'll never forget. He played it for me. He was working mm-hmm. on the demo. He says, what do you think? I says, I think this is amazing. I remember saying it. He said, Barbara and Dwayne are writing. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, right. And then when I heard the Dwayne vocal, mm-hmm. like, no, it's not going to, he's, he wrote a great song, but it's not right for what is needed. Mm-hmm. To cry. And it was a good call. Get Daryl. I wish I still had the vocal. I don't, I don't I think they're on a real, what's that? That two inch. I think they're on a ten, two inch. Yeah, they're on a two inch safe. They can get that back. They gave it back to you? When Street Rhythm closed, they gave me the tape back. I was like, thank you very much. <laughs> but the messed up thing that I hated is that 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 mix that we had a 24-hour lockout. And that mix could have sometimes, but it sounded better in our room. The only thing we had that we we didn't have that they had was the 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 um Lexicon um reverb. Sure. If we had that reverb, we would have mixed that record at home. Cause it sounded better from our room than it did from Twenty Three West. Why, why would and they you, were rushing us. What was the reason you think? What was the reason why it sounded so different? And because when we when we did the vocals uh, and stuff, we recorded them at Strictly Rhythm Studio, which was um, George Morrell's studio. Right. And he had a recorder, Sony recorder thing down there. And I didn't know that it went through like seven or six, seven different things before it got to tape. And the guy shows up late to to the, you know, with all the recordings, all, you know, because he had to break down everything. We recorded everything piece by piece by piece by piece. I guess they call them stems now. Right. And to believe it or not, I believe that guy was jealous of us and he did a dirty deal. It was the everything that he recorded was awful. You you could hear, you know, I don't know whether it was the machine or he did it purposely. It felt like it was some shade to me. What do you mean? But, but but explain, was there something gritty with the with the tracking or was it didn't sound 
Dead? Everything what? sounded degraded. Everything sounded degraded. Oh, really? Like, 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 four, yeah, four fifths. Uh, you know, like record something over and over and over and over again by the time, like recording something to a damn cassette. Wow, I never knew. You that. know, that's not gonna sound good. That's not twenty-four bit. That's not even sixteen bit. That's twelve bit. Mm-hmm. It sounded awful, and I hated it. I was so embarrassed. Even though I knew that record was gonna do well, I was embarrassed about the sound of that mix. It could have sounded so much better. We may have not even have a remix. Anyway, the, the our first version, anyway, uh, Positiva took it. So apparently they saw, you know, they heard something in it that they liked and right. they knew it was a hit and they took it. But, you know, yeah. No, but that was a golden era. But, um, well, you know. A golden time for them. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know. There were a lot more things that I wanted to do, you know. Um, and I think sometimes people um, want to hold you back from them. Mm-hmm. They don't want to see you do good. Like I have friends that never, never said to me, that's a great record. Close, close friends, like closer, close as you that would never say uh, that was a great record or whatever. And, I don't know if it was jealousy or, well, or... You know what it is? It's It depends. I always, I, I'll, t- I'll tell you what I think. I've always said this to you. It depends if they're looking at it and they're not in a good place. When someone's not in a good place, they can't wish someone else. You know, if they're not physically, mentally, spiritually feeling that way, they can't say to you, Freddie, we love you and go and congratulations. Like, I, you know, I've always cheered you on. You know that. I've always cheered you on when you were getting going. Yeah. Yeah, because I remember when you was doing that, um, you were sampling, um, uh, what's her face? Yeah, when you were sampling that, I was like, ooh, sample it right there, loop that part right there, loop that part right there. We were always on the phone with each other. We always, we all the time. Yeah, That's what we did back then. We... Yeah. It was a it was a like a scientific experiment. I would call him and say, listen to this. What do you think? He would mm-hmm. call me and, and we would all mm-hmm. everybody did that. It was the way of the times to get the feeling. Is this on the right place? What do you think? Are you feeling it? Is it tired? You know, or is it really good? And and it's funny too, because I didn't know how to use a computer or anything, but I knew what was going on with that computer because I was all the time. I would stay there all night long with him and listen to him banging out a tune. I heard a many songs that he did in that studio with Helen Bruner and I can't believe the other girls, Yolanda. Oh, all these records he was doing up there. And then I heard Louie. I was in the studio with Louie and, you know, he would call me sometimes. Freddie, what you think of this? It's a, don't be telling people you call, I called you. I was like, dude, get over it. <laughs> and I, said, I never told nobody you calling, whatever, but no. It's like you yeah, think they you know really what? care. I'm not but trying to make. I'm not it's getting not that. It's they value your opinion. They did value your opinion. Your opinion meant something. Yeah. And you know, like uh-uh, that's not good. I'm going to tell you the truth. And I had to learn. I had to learn to be um, diplomatic because before I was not diplomatic. I would tell you if it stunk or not. You know and. 
you know, some people have the right to say that. And some people was like, that's what I want. Food. I don't want you to sugarcoat it. I want the truth from you because that's going to help me not tell me lies that that's not true. Here's, here's so, a question. Here's a question I ask myself. I'll ask you the same. Were you ever wrong with something that you heard and you said, oh, my God, was I wrong about this record? Like you said, oh, no, this is not good. But then later when you heard it again, you said, what was I? I, I must have heard something else and completely changed your mind on it. Was there any of those that you felt like? A couple, but I don't remember. Not really, because even if I don't like the record, I know I hear a hit. I know a hit when I hear it. Like, I don't have to like the record. If it's dope, it's dope. If people, if I know that those kind of people like that record, because I, I, like I said to you, I knew I, I was around when, when Danny Teneglia and, and Junior Vasquez and all those people were around and Frankie Knuckles and Dave Morales. I know all those people and I know it played. I knew what their style was and I knew what record somebody would play and what record they would play. You know, I knew all these people all over the place. It was like water. You see these people every day. You go to a record shop, it was like going to a party. You I miss that so much going to the record store and yeah, I was gonna ask about all that. these people and all your friends. Freddie, and, that tell oh my god, what happened culturally when that ended for everybody? What was that like when oh it was like a funeral, it was like a like a died and Giuliani. Everybody knows Giuliani. <laughs> Get him out. Take it. Well, he destroyed New York City life. He destroyed the club life in New York City. He needs to go to jail for that. <laughs> <laughs> Not just for his trolling, but <laughs> but he. I remember the Sound Factory Bar. We was there every Wednesday night. It was on fire. I would meet Louis outside the clock and go in. We play records together. What you think it is, what you think it is. I was like, I got something for you. Watch this. Bam. <laughs> we had a great time. And I remember I took him um this the the um uh the dad of um 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 spread love that me and oh, my friend yes. Julian was working on. Yes, the spread love track instrumental. Mm -hmm. Yes. That record became like a cult cult classic. Everybody wanted that record, and and a lot of people had it. Some people didn't, but I never. It didn't twenty five years, and then all of a sudden, um, Danny wanted to license it. First, Joe wanted to license it, but he wasn't offering anything, not really. And then Danny wanted to license it, and so I was like, you know what? It's time for this record. Just just let it go because I was trying to remix it, but it had so many parts to it that my computer could not handle it. It was just. You need to see things going on. And and I really, I'm not an engineer. Earning, and I have more things that I want to do. Right. Producing records, putting them out and making sure. them sound really good. In fact, I want to go back to that record and go back over a bunch of records that I've done before and re-EQ them and, and mix them properly like they should be mixed. Um, But anyway, Lynn, uh, Louis heard that record. And he went and made two acetates of it. And he worked that record into the ground. And then everybody was playing the record. Um, and then 25 years later, uh, Danny Krivitz, if he could uh, license the record for King Street. 
So King Street licensed it and they put it out on the King as a single. Then they put it out uh, anniversary of King Street and then they licensed it for um, Body and Soul. No, they licensed it for Danny Krivitz 718 session. And then they licensed it again for um, Body and Soul anniversary uh, anniversary through Ministry of Sound. Oh, wow. <laughs> yes. So um, there were a lot of things that people never even heard that I've done because every time I go to Jason's house, he would buy a new piece of um, equipment and it was like starting over from zero. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was a lot of things that and never finished, you know, so. But and you I would start a lot of ideas. Things. You would like like a pen and pen. A lot of ideas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Thousands of sketches, thousands of sketches. Really good sketches too. In fact, we had many different remixes of um um oh and then we came out with um Dungaloo Pride, which um several people wanted to license, but they weren't really offering, you know, what I thought was proper. And I didn't want the same thing to happen that happened with Stop Playing With My Mind. In fact, Stop Playing With My Mind was supposed to be an Afro Sheen featuring whomever. And they talked us into letting them use Barbara Tucker as the artist. And I didn't realize when I took the contract to my lawyer, it was an artist contract. It was a producer's contract and not an artist contract. And we had no control over that record. So when it came to publicity and whatever, we didn't get the publicity I thought we should have gotten because it was our record. And uh, it was a lot of shading that's going on with that record. But people who knew me, accepted it and, and 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 I got gigs out of it but otherwise if it was because of, if it was up to them I would have never gotten a gig out of it it would nothing would have ever happened for me but I'm glad that that was you know people that I met you know like my friends in Germany and you know all these other people who knew me and knew that that was my record that helped me on my way and hopefully I'm able to I want to remix it again actually it's 20 years. 21 years now that that record came out. It's growing and up. I'm still getting shit. All right. Congrats. I got a lot of coins from that record, honey. So That's what I said. It's a successful record. That's one of the more successful records for that record label. Yes, it's a Freddie Turner. Yeah, very well. <laughs> Give us some face, mm-hmm, Freddie. Mm-hmm. Give us some face. <laughs> yes. And take a bow. But anyway... <laughs> Now that I'm thinking, I, I, I do realize now when you said sketches, it's funny now. I can see why you did a lot of sketches because you also tailor and you did a lot of scene work making the first garments. And I could see you extending mm-hmm. that into the music now. Now it totally makes sense how you're doing so many different artistic. Most art- and it's funny because there's like so many people who are artistic. And it's like, you know, you probably things in you that you don't even know you have in you. Why don't you explore them? Because I've done so many artistically. If you look behind me, if you look at my house period, it looks like a museum. It looks like an art museum because I love art. Any form of it, I love it. And I can always take something. What do you got? This chair. Yep. Okay. Oh, look at that chair, everyone. I reposted this chair myself. I reposted this chair myself a long time ago. And I all the time, all those kind of things like that. 
Yeah, it is. Every you you see picture frames, all kinds of lights, lamps. I redid that lamp right there. Beautiful. Myself. Take a bow, Freddie. Oh wow. A school. Very. I turn that lamp out. All of this, everything in here, nothing here is in its original state. You know, shirt, I made this shirt, I made this tie. Where's my hat? <laughs> I do all kind of stuff. Jackets, coats, whatever. Y'all think I got the talent. <laughs> you're blessed because you can do that. You know how to you yeah. know how to do it. You know, you're good at that stuff. And that's yeah, yeah, who yeah, you yeah, are. Yeah. What could you change if you had you know what's change, so funny is when I was here? I was gonna say when you if you wanted to change something, something you did or change your path, would you have done something differently earlier on? I don't think I would. The only thing I would have done is I wish I had a better lawyer that okay. was gonna tell me what I was signing and what I was doing. It wasn't horrible, but it could have been a hell of a lot better. I could have been a lot further along. I could have con contributed a lot more music than I have because, you know, when things die, you don't have the money to replace them. I mean, it's like you make money. It's, it's not the money ain't long enough to do what you need it to do for you. Right. So, sure. you know, you have to slow down and, you, you know, you have to do it when you have the time and when you can put all these pieces back together. To do it right, you know. Are you? Are you I don't want to do a half. Job. Are you ever sorry you left the, the the fashion industry to go full time music? Fashion industry? Yeah, leaving no. it. In other words, are you ever no. sorry for leaving it? No, because I did that from eleven years old, and um, I was sewing every day. Every I think what happened was when it became a job. I loved it. And to a point where, where my last job, when I worked for Isaac Mizrahi, they got on my last nerve. 24-7, <laughs> seven days a week. Making thousands of garments. We had we had four shows a year. And it was just too much. I mean, I did all, did all the experimental stuff. I was making shearling coats. I was making patent leather. You know, I was doing all kind of crazy stuff in that room. Nobody else would do it but me. And I and most of the time, the only male in the room and the only black person, period, most ever went to work. The youngest and the, and and I would they said the most talented because they said I had really good things that I knew how to handle fabric and, and I knew how to make the fabric do what I wanted it to do. To me, fabric speaks to me. It tells me what it wants to be, not what you want it to be. It's what it wants to be, you know? So oh, wow. it's like, I have another idea for, uh, in fact, I have another idea for um, Candy Staten. I thought of it the other day. I'm not going to tell nobody what I'm going to do. But I'm Are you going to tell stories, everyone? He's secretly telling us. You can't put it out legally, yeah. but it's the bomb. I have a well, great idea. I think they're going to be blown Fred away. Freddie, hang on. People, there's a lot of people who are not in the music industry that are fans. And you're talking mm -hmm. a very technical thing about clearance and stuff. People, because mm -hmm. I get the question, well, you could just put it out. You don't have to ask permission. 
Can you explain that? What happens? You can put it out if you want to. Record does anything, they're going to come after you and take all your coins from you and put you in the street. So try it. Keep on. Keep trying it. You know, I didn't even know that 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 was involved in, in that record. Girl, you know, it's you. I gagged when I heard him say that. It don't sound nothing like them, but it it, it makes sense to me that they would be doing something like that. Creative, period. Anything they wanted to create, they just did it. You know, but I, I don't suggest people going around sampling other people's records because you're going to lose. Okay, so wait. Here we, that Here we go. Here we go. So you and I had this conversation. We listen to track source. We talk about this, you and I. Now you're listening to all the new school of producers taking a full LTD record, full BT Express record, putting drums under it, and then renaming it such and such the artist and a new name. What do you feel about that? How do you look at that? It's cute on one end, but it ain't cute on the other end. It's cute because you get to hear all the different uh, versions of it, but it ain't cute when it comes to your part. It ain't cute when you steal somebody else's music and they don't get paid for it because they work their butt off and they took a, they, they did a lot of stuff to make that happen. And you just going to come along and just like stop playing with my mind. They were supposed to clear that sample. I would have made a lot more money had they cleared that sample from the beginning, but they did not clear that sample from the beginning. And it cost us 30 cents of that record. Okay. And that's a lot. That's a lot of publishing. Cause it was also the original recording. It wasn't just, a, it wasn't just like we replayed it. It was an original sample. You know, so if we had, a, if they had cleared it, like they knew they were supposed to being shady and being slick, they didn't record it, and, um, didn't try to um, clear it. And so when it came back, I think it was like two weeks before the record came out that Leroy Burgess said, I don't think so, girl. You better pay up and you, you're going to have to pull that record. So they had to pay up, but it cost us money. We should have let me. If I had a good lawyer, we could have made them liable for it and not up, you know. So those are things you learn. Those are things you learn, you know. And I learned a lot. <laughs> it's like when we put out um Don't Go Lose Your Pride. When I when I put out Don't Lose Your Pride, I told him I want my name on the record label. I want my name to be the biggest thing on the record cover. He didn't follow any of the contract. I said, you cannot license that record in America, Canada, or, you know, any Americas that belongs to my, that's my territory. So they try to put it out on track source and I had to go, you know, so. But that record did well, too. That record did really well. It could have been even better had they not been trying to be shady to me, you know. But I didn't trust them, you know, I didn't. and it was a good friend of mine. He was a really good friend of mine. And then they started doing things that I told them I didn't want to happen. And we had it in the contract. I want this to happen. I want that to happen. I don't want this to happen. I don't want that to happen. And they did whatever they felt like doing. And I was like, okay, this don't seem like a good situation. But I, I learned one lesson, though. You only get five years licensing deal from me. You don't, you don't own anything. The original belongs to me. And you license it from me. 
Well, back in those days, most of the American labels and house music were doing master purchase deals back then. You know that. They were grabbing the records forever. The labels, they weren't doing license. Europe was doing the licensing deals, but not American record labels. I didn't know that. I, I, I didn't know that part of it. I just knew that, that um, first of all, the only reason that we didn't use Whiplash and Turner, artists of Stop Playing Well in My Mind, is because we thought, we had heard that if you let them use your name, they own your name. The reason we didn't say, uh-uh, you using our name on that record. Because we didn't want them to own the name. That means that you couldn't ring. You know, and I didn't want that to happen. So that's how we let them use the name as the artist. You know, even though she did sing, she, she sung her ass off. But, you know, it was our record. Sure. <laughs> it was my creation and it was, you know, it was supposed to have been, you know, so whatever. I know. On. You know what? A lot of shade of, was thrown over there. That's right. A lot of Part money. Of the learning experience, too. A lot of it's, we had to learn as, you know, and some of the guys say we were very young, a lot of us, and we were learning the business as we were going. You know, some say that. Some say I didn't have money for a lawyer. I just signed contracts. I thought that was silly when people told me that. I was like, no, 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 no. You got to have someone knows <clears throat> what they're doing. Look at your contract because it could be horrible. You know, these people come in and take everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I thought I had a good all the information. He was not. He happened to be a friend of mine from a record label. He had his own record label, but he was a lawyer. And I thought he was looking out for my best interest. And not really. He was looking out for his pocket. Mm. And, and be careful with that. You, you, you kids can't, you have to be bona fide, sure that that person, find the first interest is yours and not his. You know, not for him to just make money and not even read the contract or just give you, oh, I don't like that line or what, I don't like that line and not tell you what it is that you're signing. Because I had never really dealt with a contract. I had never really done with a contract like that. But we paid him like $500 or whatever to read over that contract. And, and he didn't tell us that it was an art, that it was a, a, a producer's contract. So we had no control when she went on the top of the pops. I wanted to go there because I had found out about it. And I wanted to go to the top of pops when she was singing. They blocked us from doing that. They positive wouldn't even speak to me and Jason. Oh, really? And Jason didn't want to any problem. Yes, they blocked us. And in fact, it's, it 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 kind of infuriated me. Bobby and Steve was like, "Oh, we're gonna talk to them, you know, about how they treating you and blah 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 blah." We know that they're doing this. To me. They did absolutely nothing. It was almost like, you know, like whatever you got taken advantage of and you got dissed and that's it. Never heard nothing from them. They didn't do anything for me. So I was like, okay, so that's how it is. Hmm. You know, cause, um, Oh, you know what? From their side, it's funny. Cause I had gone to London one time. No, I was going to say is from their side. They mm -hmm. don't really know the back end. All they know is like you said, the artist contract now became, Barbara Tucker and Daryl DeBono. So so they're buying mm -hmm. that record. They're not thinking about there's an artist named Freddie Turner and Whiplash, Jason Whiplash Hernandez. Exactly. 
You know, they don't know that. So then, mm-hmm. of course, you try to call them and say, wait, wait. But as far as they know, they license the contract from the record label you assigned the rights to. So it gets a little bit funny for them to say, oh, I understand where you're coming from. Now, what do we do? You know, it's a difficult situation because they don't know. For them, it's like they don't know who to believe. Even though you're correct and you're right, the contract states, like you said, we were misled. We were misled. We thought we're having an artist deal, producer artist contract, not producer hand the record over to the artist and then we take a step back. Mm -hmm. I get it now. Mm -hmm. I understand. Yep. So, you know, it was a learning experience and it will never happen again. You know? I don't think house music, the way we did it back then would ever happen like that again, that way. I see some changing coming. What do you see? I see real gut, real, real songs, real soulful. has to come back. It has to come back because I get a lot of these records from record labels or whatever, and they do house music, they call it. But all the vocals sound the same, like they use a machine to create the vocals. There ain't no way they can play all those records. It's, they're, they're not good. They're just not good. And the songs are not good. They're not saying anything. It's like, you know, that short attention span for five seconds. If it don't catch you in five seconds, then because they're on to the next record. But I think that that people want to hear good music. And I think they're going to have to because all the, that other stuff is just going to be noise in the background. We want to hear that. We want to hear real music. We want to hear real good songs. You know, like I heard this girl singing last night. I forgot. I don't know what she. It was on YouTube or something like that. And she had a nice voice, and her son was cute. I had heard. Uh, who was that? Who said that? It was um, Barry White. He had Tina Marie or somebody. Was it Tina Marie? No, he he was singing with with. Um, Lisa Stanfield. And he said to her, you got a great voice, but I can tell the difference between a black voice and a, and a, and a white girl singing with a black voice. That's Barry White. Yeah. And because she can sing her ass off. Oh, yeah. You'll tell the difference. Yes. Very true. I did hear him say that to her. Yes. And I was like, that's true. That's so true. And like I heard this girl last night and she sort of sound like Josh. What's that girl named Josh from England? Josh? Yeah, she was in movies and stuff like that. She was in in um what's that woman's name? Anyway, yeah, she had a couple of records out and uh she has a real soulful voice. What's her name? Wow. From what period? Maybe in the last 10 or 15 years or 20 years or something like that. Amy Winehouse? The same era is Wine- Amy Winehouse, a British singer. Female. Yes. 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 Oh, yes, yes, yes. I know you told about she's a little heavy set, but she lost a lot of weight now. No, uh, no, no. Not, not Adele. Okay, not, not Adele. Adele. Okay. Uh Josh, Josh Josh Stone. Josh Stone. 
Yes, her. There's a girl that sounded like her, and she sort of so she she had a really great voice. Uh oh, what happened? Uh, I'm here. I don't. Uh, you, Hang on, I'm here. Okay, I'm here. Hang on. I'm still here. But anyway, um, I heard this girl last night, and she sort of sounded like her, like and her and Amy Wine. Her her enunciation and all that stuff was great. But she was missing a little bit on the, you know, you know, like 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 now everybody's singing with a lot of runs and stuff like that. Okay. Like at the end of a of a phrase or whatever, she really didn't turn the phrase, you know, didn't really, you know, make it. She didn't make it Aretha Franklin. Okay, everybody to me is being judged. <laughs> For me, you get judged on the Aretha Franklin scale. Okay. Okay. That's my home girl. Those are the girls that I listen to. Those are the girls that I, you know, get my inspiration from. Gotcha. And um, when they're not singing like that, you know what it is? I think I think it takes a great a producer who knows how to sing. Mm-hmm. A producer who knows how to sing and how to church how to flip a, a phrase and 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 make that phrase mean so much and give it give it that extra oomph, that extra it's like putting butter on 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 potatoes with no without no butter the potatoes are just potatoes right oh yeah pretty much mm-hmm. when you put the butter and you put that salt on it you know, you know like that what happened to your 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 picture? I don't know. I'm trying to get my camera back. I don't right. know. Let's see what's going on. But but definitely I understand when you're saying what you're saying, no doubt. Come on. And it's funny because I should have wrote down some things because that was a whole lot of things I've heard in different interviews that I thought were very interesting. Like Morales was talking about, you know, different aspects of, of you know the music industry and his his the way he was raised and his influences and all of that. I was influenced by a lot of people. I can't even tell you where to start. There's so many of them, including you. There we go. I'm like back. When I first met you, I said to you, you said to spend the other night. Somebody said to you, I thought you was black. It was me. You're not the only I met one. You that you're not the only one that said that to me. Really? I said the same, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Mm. I know. I'm sorry about my camera, everybody, but Freddie was doing a great job keeping us going. Here at the Karmic Power, True House Stories, sometimes things fall apart. <laughs> you know, I wish I was more relaxed at the beginning than I could have said, you know, what well, I really Tell us wanted. now. Tell us what you want to say. Yeah, it's okay. Tell us now. We're here. They're all here. It's like, where do you start? I mean, like, <laughs> I did so many things, and they all happened at different times. Sewing and singing and playing records and all of that. I mean, like, I would work during the week. When I first started playing, because, you know, when you first start playing, traveling and stuff like that, you're not getting gigs every month and every week. You may have a gig every three months. 
every six months or whatever. So I had to work in between. But okay. I made sure that I was not working come Friday and Saturday and Sunday. Because <laughs> I would work and I would leave on, on, on Thursday night to go to Europe and not come back until Sunday. You know, right. so. But then what I would do is I would stay two, three weeks when I went. Then, you know, when it got better, I was able to stay. And I got to learn how other people lived in other places and, and got, you know, very close to people. And saw how, you know, in different countries, people lived differently. They had different kind of refrigerator. They had the heat was different in their house. Like they had that refrigerator look like a school refrigerator. You know, like when you go off to college. Mm-hmm. That tiny refrigerator and they had the washing machine that they didn't use fabric softener. I think about that all the time. Every time I'm washing clothes and stuff, I think about, wow, if I was in Europe, my clothes, if I was in Europe, my clothes would be hard as a brick. <laughs> they use fabric softener. I guess it's something to do with the environment or something like that. But, you know, as I knew, I need my fabric softener. I can't. No. So. So are you ready to go back out and do it all over again? Yes. Yep. Yep. I'm trying to get you doing now. Tell everybody what you're doing now. What are you getting ready to do? Come on. I'm getting ready to sing again. You are? My own vocals. Please come out of singing retirement? No way. Yeah. I've got my own microphone, got my own compressor. All of that stuff is going to be done according to my voice and the way I think I should sound. And I'm going to take my time and sing it the way I think it should be sung. I'm going to give my all. I want to do dope tracks. You know, um, like I said, I have an idea for this candy stating that I want to do again. I have a lot of ideas, a lot of ideas, just a lot of I owe you a record called Dancing in the Dark that we never finished because my computer died. <laughs> when I was doing it, I think I got bootlegs on there or whatever. <laughs> cracky crack crack cracks and i don't know i think my computer was just too old to handle all of that mm-hmm. but you know ain't it is not lost i okay. still have the, the information and um i think that's the kind of track that i think that danny would have played if he was still playing at this time from where he come from i know that he would play something like that frankie definitely frankie played every record i ever put out he had my records on his list I mean, he put them on compilations all the time. For me, he was like, wow, he was always championing me. He was always very nice to me. He And I never, I was never in the street saying, oh, Frankie's my best friend and all this kind of stuff. Like, I never did any of that kind of stuff like that. But he was always putting my stuff on his, you know, CDs or, you know, his compilations and his mix, whatever. And Louis too. And you, you know, and and Tommy and, hey, and we all supported you. We loved you. Yeah. 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 But I had some other friends that was very close to me that were very shady. Uh, uh You know, I, I guess they wanted to be the only gay black man <laughs> doing anything. And it's like, it don't work like that work um, girl. It takes everybody. It takes an army to make it happen. You can't you really feel it. Do you really feel it was like that way? Or was that more just for the competition? I don't know. I just think it's just poor taste to me because I don't think I don't do that to anybody. If you do something fierce, you do something fierce and I'm not going to take you down a notch to put you in your place or I'm not going to stop you from making money. You know, 
because you're some kind of competition because you're not competition to me. Everybody's the same. Everybody got their own. Everybody's got their own talent. Everybody plays differently. It's funny because I remember playing in Switzerland at this place called the New York Club. It's in in, in Lausanne. Right. And the people said, oh, you sound like Tony Humphreys. I was like, no, I don't. Where you get that from? I don't sound like no Tony Humphreys. And don't you ever say that because he's going to be mad if he hears that. He's going to gonna want to kill me. I don't play like Tony Humphreys. I play like Freddie Turner. And I play aggressively when I'm playing clubs. And I can play soulful and all that kind of stuff like that. But that's not what they hired me for. You know, I'm not going to go there. And then and not just that, the sound system don't 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 lend itself to that sound of music. It's very intricate. It's very it's very melodic. It, it's very full. And if you don't have a really full sound system, they're not going to feel that. Right. You got to play the, the the kind of records that sound good on that kind of sound system. Sure. They were mostly kind of bumpy. People used to say to me it was noisy. I was like, not to me. They're not noisy to me. They're just more more aggressive, you know. Sure, sure. I know the aggressive records because I know all these people who, you know, the Danny Teneglias and the and the Peter Rufhofer, Rufenhofer, and uh, <laughs> you know all these kids Peter that play those. Peter he's named Peter Rawhoffer Club Sixty Nine. <laughs> um, you know all these people who play, you know, those kind of is they were all different levels of music. And all different styles. And I loved all of them. I have records from him. I have Junior Vasquez records. I have all those records. Some good, some bad. You know? But I say this about everybody. Not everybody's record is going to always be good. You got no. ones that are better than others. This is the way yeah. it's a natural thing. You Not everybody makes a great record every time. It's impossible. But one thing that I like, that I, that I, that I, I think that... I won't put out a record unless I'm comfortable with it. I don't put it. I, I feel bad. If I don't like it, why do you think anybody else is going to like it? If I don't think it's great. But that's or, not fair either because people, everyone's got different ears. You know that. It's true. It's true because I hated that mix of, of Stop Playing With My Mind, but everybody else loved it. They played it. I mean, we did a record for, I did many records for Fourth Floor too. We did a record called Bell Bottom Convention for uh, um, and and um, Norman Jay. He played the heck out of that record. Right, you and me together, and I did not know it was a it was um, Harvey Mason. It was a sample from Harvey Mason, and um, Francois what? owned the publishing to that. Oh, I didn't know he owned it. Well, you know. It and was dope. And how many times people asked you, and and we, and I was with you. They would all be like, "Oh, Freddie, you sang on the hypnot, hypnot, Like that's not the only thing I ever sang. No, no, no. <laughs> but the same thing, like, 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 um, who was that guy that was getting upset? Um, um, because he said, "Oh, everybody always, David, David, what's his face? You can't hide." Yes. You can't David Joseph. He says, I sung a whole lot of records. I was on other, I was on the, you know, I was in a group and blah, 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 blah. He got mad. He, he was in high tension, that group, that British band. Yeah. Yes. But, and, and he says, nobody knows anything about those records. They only know um, you can't hide. And I was like, because that's the record that made it hot for you. That's the record that we played over here. That's the that's record the, we all remember, like, like straight up. That you know? baseline and all yeah. that. 
Oh, and they end up going the, the the garage experience. It's so funny because there's a lot of people that say they went to the garage that I don't think they went there. Um, they weren't there at the peak, that's for sure. They were there at the, the towards the end years or whatever. But I hear a lot of people say, "Oh, I went there and I was 15, or I went there and I was this." I was like, "No, you wasn't," because they were not letting you up in there and losing their license. They were not going to do that. It may have been towards the end, but it sure wasn't. When it was on fire, that place was on fire every Saturday night. We went there and it was like, we called it going to get your life. And we went there and it was Friday and Saturday nights at first. And I think maybe, I don't know how long before they made Friday night straight night. But it was a completely different vibe on Friday night than straight than on, than on, on Saturday night. And he had to play, I mean, like he played really aggressive on, 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 on Saturday night. A lot of vocals. It's funny because like pal Joy one day says to me, Oh, Freddie, you screws playing those screaming B I C C H records. And I was like, what do you mean? He's talking about Lolita Holloway and all his records. Those girls was, you know, wailing on burning the place down. And I was like, absolutely. I'm playing all those kind of records. And I was like, you know, but that's the spirit of the garage. You know, it was fire. That's all I can say is it was fire. And you got your life. You went there, you had, a, you worked all week long and you got burned out and you went there Saturday and you were re-energized for Monday morning. You know, you were re-energized because you left there and you walked and you went to Vinyl Mania to see if you could find the record you heard in there. And then you went over to Washington Square Park and you went, you know, if you wasn't dressed right, they would read you for points. You went through, it was like a, a runway and they would talk about you like a dog. <laughs> so that's when we started carrying bags and you could change your clothes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Close to the dance floor and you had your clothes from when you left that club because you would get red to the floor. So we go to places like Tiffany and, you know, to eat or to... um Pink teacup and all those places like that. That was more the bougie place. Tea, pink teacup. Mm-hmm. And um, and then we went home and went to sleep. And you got up and you went to to um um you went to the nickel bar on 74th Street. You came out of the park at 72nd Street and you walked past Sharvari, all these fabulous um clothing stores and stuff like that, all these nice shops. And you went to the nickel bar and you left there about 11 o'clock and you went home, got up and went to work the next day. If you made it. Right. Sometimes I didn't make it because I was too tired or I was late because you got worn out. But anyway, it was such a, it was such a great time. I, I, I wish I could put it in a bottle or, 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 or so you could see it because I don't I don't do a lot of talking about the garage like I hear a lot of people yeah but you're not even saying it right we didn't call it garage the what it called gay rage that's right gay rage (laughs) (laughs) they call it the gay rage that's right and it was Larry Lavina it was Lavina Lavana we called him (laughs) 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 he he meant you got rejuvenated and you got life what he meant was Everybody we knew had problems at home and stuff. They would go there and dance it out. And none mm-hmm. of that existed till you got back to work on Monday. If yeah, you get yeah, back yeah. to work on Monday. Exactly. But it was like it was like a release. 
do a dance. I couldn't stand the lights. They were beautiful. I couldn't take it because it would bother me. like my- the flickering. <laughs> I would close my eyes and just go into another trance, go into another world, into a trance. You know? That's right. A lot of people in that place, too. Oh, and you know, the first time I ever seen Grace Jones was before I even came here. I saw Grace Jones in Atlanta in a club called Backstreet. She came in riding a motorcycle. I was like, get out of here. Who is that? She turned the place out. And a lot of the disco stuff, they weren't playing a lot of the disco stuff in Detroit when I grew up. The disco stuff they were playing in Atlanta when I was mm-hmm. in Atlanta. And in New York, they were playing a lot of disco records. You know, um, but I bought a lot of those 12 inches when I lived in Atlanta. I would take the bus to go to this record shop to get my records. It was a long ways. That was a big city. And all they had was the public transportation were buses. So you would, you know, it took me two hours to go to school and two hours to come back because I lived in in Decatur, which was outside of Atlanta. Right. And um, I had to go into Buckhead to go to school to our Institute of Atlanta. Mm-hmm. It was like a two hour ride by bus every day, you know, but, you know, it was cute. And then I moved downtown Atlanta. First, I moved in with my cousins and they were crazy. They got mad because I was. We went to look for an apartment and it was supposed to be in a, a two bedroom apartment. It ended up being a, she wanted a three bedroom apartment. And I didn't know that she was leaving her husband. Oh, <laughs> it was like uh uh-uh, uh 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 uh. So we can only find a two bedroom apartment anyway. They got mad with me and I just left because I was going out and but they wanted me to sleep on the couch in the living room. I was like, that's not gonna happen. If I'm paying rent up in here, it's not gonna that's happen. That's right. I'm paying coins up in this place, and you can want me to sleep on the couch. You need to stay with your husband until you find some place for you to go. Because <laughs> not, not gonna happen, girl. But uh, anyway, long story short, I came to New York and fell in love with it. I knew it's funny because I had gone to a psychic when I was like 16 years old. And they told me, you're going to go to New York and you're going to do this and you're going to do that. And everything he said happened. And it wasn't suggesting of the, you know, how people think of somebody suggests something to you that it's going to stay in your mind and this is what you're going to do. It's what you're going to become. That's not true. I never I never thought of any of those kind of things. I wanted to come here to go to high school, like I said. But my destiny was completely different than what I thought it would be. Completely. I never donned. I never thought of being in the music industry any kind of way like that or, you know, doing all the different things I've done. Like I worked for banks. I worked for some of everything. I, I was a secretary, <laughs> a security guard. In fact, I was a security guard at the booth at the South Factory Bar, and I didn't even know it. I wasn't even getting paid. That's right. <laughs> I'll be in the booth with Louis. He was like, "Uh-uh, don't let them in here. <laughs> don't let you them." Know, in. You knew who you knew who to let up and who didn't. exactly because there would be some drama niggas. He didn't like talking to people when he was playing. I don't either. I hate it. It's hard. It's hard to DJ all night and yeah. dealing with people. It's tough talking to me. You can't be talking to me, and I'm trying to play. That's too much. Too many things going on. Lose your concentration. Oh, I had some nights up in that place too, the Sound Factory Bar. To me, that was my second best place for me after the at the garage with the Sound Factory. Bar. Why? The music, the atmosphere, the people. It was like a. It was like having a basement party, but in a big club, because every all your friends was there. Everybody in the music industry was there. 
from Chicago to Los Angeles, everybody was up in there. It was always a great performance. Don Welsh and Barbara was, they really know how to put on a party. And that Louis knew how to bring the house down. He really knew how to bring that house down. And I remember the night that David Cole, you see, I think raves were different than, than house parties. And, and raves, you know, they put their fists up like that. That happened when David Cole played there. They went absolutely crazy. They was going crazy anyway, but they really went crazy that night. Mm-hmm. It was like a rave. When he got there, he played keyboards over the music. He was a good friend of mine, David Cole. I met him at, at Better Days. And he would disappear. That's the first time I ever heard a sampler is at Better Days because David would disappear. And I kept hearing all of these pieces from the record previously in the mix of the next record. It's like, what are they doing? What, how do they do that? And I look up one night and David's up there with, you know, pressing a keyboard or whatever. And I was like, oh, you never told me that you played keyboards or anything. And in fact, that that house version of um, that remix they did of um, Born This Way, Carol Bean, Carl mm-hmm. Bean. Yeah. They practically did that on the dance floor, him and Bruce Forrest. They turned that record out. And you know I'm bringing Bruce Forrest on this show. He's going to be yeah, Yes, yes, yes. He mad with me because I call him Shady. But he was <laughs> Where's Bruce Forrest? Step on he, up. He wrote me back and then he blocked me so I couldn't say nothing back to him. Tell him, you ain't going to stop me now, girl. No. <laughs> he was shady. He know he was shady. But I understand why he well, was wait, shady. We said, we, we said, before we wrap this show, we've said, Towards the end of the garage, Bruce Forrest was really doing his job. He was yep. educating everybody. And, and you know what? For years, nobody talked about him. I was the only person to talk about that's him. True. Nobody it's remembered him. Nobody talked about him. I talked him up like out of the dead. I thought, I don't know what happened to that guy. I just remember going in. He was on point. He was on. He would make me so tired that my feet would hurt. I would stop dancing. And my voice, I would lose my voice because I would be singing every record he put on. First time I ever heard um, You Used to Hold Me. I had bought that record earlier in the day from Rock and Soul because Larry wasn't even playing those house records like that when when um, when they came out. He was kind of late on the on on that on that scene for me. He didn't like, he didn't like house music. He really didn't like it. Mm-hmm. He didn't really like it, but Bruce Forrest was giving it. He was throwing, he was giving it. Love can't turn around. Ooh. I enjoyed I enjoyed myself immensely at the at um better days. I had a good time up in that place, you know, and dancing with David. You, we, we just, you know, like I said, we close your eyes and just go into it. Imagine that, everybody. David Cole's live from CC Music Factory playing with Bruce Forrest's DJing. That was the first, well, not really first, well, I think Michael DeBenedictus from Peach Boys did it with Larry LeVan. He brought his move too, because he told me. In the beginning of Peach Boys, they were practicing parts live right mm. while Larry was DJing. Really? So, yeah. So, but for us, we remember the David Cole thing. That I remember. You know, that's the thing that I miss about playing as a DJ. And, 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 and I wouldn't say having a um, a night, but but being able to play a record. Because he would play a little bit of the record. And you say, what is that garbage? What is that? <laughs> and then you play a little bit more of it. It's like, oh, that sounds familiar. Then you play a little bit more of it. Say, like, wow, that's hot. Then by the end of the night, you was out looking for that record. <laughs> he was out looking for that record. Oh, that is the, you got to have that. 
You know, he knew how to serve it up. Every time he played a new record, he knew how to serve it to you. He wouldn't just play the whole record. He would just play you little parts of it. And then full on hit you in the face with it, which I love. And that sound system, there will never, ever, 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 ever be a sound system like that ever again, ever. You could hear a pin drop in there and you would be shocked. I remember hearing hearing um, uh, Slave to the Rhythm in there. Oh, it sounded like it was inside of your head. Slave. <laughs> and all that stuff like that. And, and um, uh, uh, um, D-Train, you're the one for me. Woo, baby. On that sound system, it was in, in, in my favorite that I had to get inside the bass speaker was when he played the E Street beat from chocolate, I would get into the speakers because that bass line was so ridiculous. And um and and another one was um um not share the night. That was a good one too, but it was that other record that was on um see there's so many thousands of records I can't remember every title to every record because I got billions of them okay. for you. So everybody's getting ready because it's getting late in Europe. Where are we gonna find you next, Freddie? What's the next plan of your life? Well I got some new records to make. I got some new clothes to make because I want to look cute when I go out to play. <laughs> yeah. I am not, I'm not doing no more T-shirts later for y'all with that. That's only the 90s. That's Wait, that's the 90s? Now. It's over? The T-shirts are over? That's yeah, over. I'm not doing that. That's how you get fat and you don't know you get fat because you're wearing those T-shirts <laughs> and you're spreading. And you don't know you're spreading. So She's carrying a child, people. She's carrying her yeah. child. She's letting it yeah. go. Yeah, so that's not gonna happen. I I I, I want to look good. I want to feel good because when I look good, I feel good, and I'm at my best when I feel best. When I feel good, I'm at my best. All right. Is that you know? Look out, y'all, because I'm coming for you. You are. So Freddie Turner is coming for everybody, and thank you, Freddie. You are amazing. We love you. 